Welcome to Codecast. We're a podcast that focuses on everything tech, and we give you an idea of what developers, startups, and creatives are up to in Zambia and across Africa. Every two weeks, we explore different topics and applications of technology in the real world. Every episode is brought to you by Agora Code Community. For more information, visit agoracode.community or follow us on Twitter at CodeAgora. Paul Flanagan here. I work in uh, industrial IT, um, optimizing uh, the plant for guys in the mines and so on. And I'm currently listening to Codecast. Okay, welcome to today's episode of Codecast. Um, today I have a special episode brewing. I'm on my own. Uh, Cynthia and Elias couldn't make it. And today's topic is pretty interesting. I hope you enjoy it. We're talking about asset performance management which is basically using assets, whether physical or not physical, to realize your business-specific goals. Um, talking about the different strategies employed under APM to maximize profits and reduce risks in businesses. Some of the, some of the things involved in APM include condition monitoring, um, asset integrity, health, visualization, and analytics. And before we start the episode, look out for these terms, assets, which basically items of value, optimization, making things better, run more efficiently, and also words like perfect or ideal. Um, so I will introduce the guest. Today's guest is Paul Flanagan. Hi. So tell us a little bit about yourself before we begin. How did you get into talking about assets, performance, and optimization, and all this stuff? Okay, let's say in in my early days in uh, uh, IT, I was working in a power company um, doing basic research on different technologies and so on. Um, And part of our uh, remit was to install various pieces of software on power stations. And we discovered that there were lots of different control systems, different languages being used. And so we were forever being able to, having to recode the interfaces to get data from these different systems. Uh, I was asked to research um, if there were any technologies, any any systems out there that could help us bridge the gap between the different uh, uh, pieces of hardware, control systems and so on. Long story short, I found one. The company I was working for adopted it. Um, I then left that company and started specializing in this new software because it seemed a very interesting and very broad subject to be going at. And I've been doing it for the past 20 years. Oh, that's a really long time. Um, what, what, what were some of the challenges in uh, bridging these pieces of software together? Well, you have, um, starting from where the guys are sat, um, operating the plant, um, looking at the screens, they've got the, what they call the DCS, which is the Distributed Control System, which might be um, from various people like some of the famous ones like Siemens and, and ABB mm-hmm. and Bailey and that kind of thing. Um, underneath that you've got um, data collection systems uh, like PLCs, programmable logic controllers, which sit there and gather data from instrumentation, from pumps, from measuring flows, temperatures and so on. And these are all from different manufacturers that taught different languages. Um, so if you wanted to see the whole picture of, of what was going on, you had to write so many different interfaces to collect the data in 
Java, C++, machine code, etc. And every time you move to a different power station, you'd end up having to do the whole thing all over again. Yeah. So when we found these these guys that were producing like two, three hundred interfaces that could talk to anything and put it into a common format that you could then visualize, calculate, web-enable, email, whatever. Yeah. Um, then we said, okay, that's for us. <laughs> and it worked out. I said, that's for me. So. <laughs> that's really interesting. And uh, to kind of give uh, context, um, a, lot, a lot of this stuff happens uh, behind the scenes. Not many people kind of understand that there's a lot that's involved in actually yeah. monitoring all these systems. Yeah. And when we talk about all these systems that are involved across different industries, because you mentioned, let's say, a power plant, right? Yeah. Um, that's for electricity generation, yeah. any, any kind of energy. We stretch into other industries. Um, what are the telecoms and that sort of thing? Uh, well, yes. I mean, apart from any industry, any, any process where you're manufacturing or producing something either discreetly or continuously, so in my case, I've worked in oil and gas, uh, water utilities, power utilities, and pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. But there is also other manufacturing, um, even even IT. I mean, even guys like Microsoft, mm -hmm. you and Amazon use these techniques and this kind of software to monitor their own power usage and health of their own server farms. Oh yeah, uh, in terms of managing server farms. So in that regard, like what 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 usually is, um, okay, bringing you back home, right? In the context of all the different industries we have here, uh, I don't know, I don't know how how long have you been in the industry here, and what kind of challenges have you seen in comparison to all the different other markets you've been in? In in Zambia, uh, it's ninety nine percent mines. So guys like Barrick and First Quantum. Uh, they have the system in place, they know the system, so the challenge there is persuading them that they can do more with it and that it should be me doing it. Oh, that's, that's interesting. So, yeah. Okay, um, so like diving, diving into the different processes and where we, uh, how, how we get set up, um, what's, what's the first step in terms of analyzing business needs and looking at how this technology fits into the entire ecosystem there's there's a couple of approaches one one of which is to say okay if if, if the business analyst and, and the the efficiency guys think there is a problem but they can't quantify it and they want to quantify it as a first step towards then putting something in place to fix it or improve it then we'd go in there and put a small system in there just monitoring the measurements that we think are part of the problem mm -hmm. okay um, so what kind of indicators would you be looking for for example from your experience and stuff um, it could be something as, as straightforward as uh, um, power outages or general dropouts of, of availability on equipment pump failures if a particular pump is forever being damaged or having vibration issues or whatever, things that maybe the shop floor guys have, have seen but they don't know what's causing it. If you then bring in other information, if you bring in another 200 measurements around it and you time sequence it so you know what the cause and effects is, you can maybe run it for a month and observe the patterns that say 
this pump always trips out when this pressure goes above this on that valve and this setting is at half half whatever um, and then once you've seen that pattern you can say okay um, let's put in some analytics and some pre-warning so that when that pattern starts you can send something to the maintenance guys to say okay last time this happened two weeks later the pump failed mm -hmm. so start ordering the spare parts now start servicing it now and avoid the problem so I'm guessing uh, the whole the whole point of that would be to set up some kind of monitoring that helps you sort of predict future events by using key indicators, right? That's the ultimate aim. I mean, the, the, the first step is just having something there which tells the operators how things are going mm -hmm. on a minute-by-minute -minute basis as a holistic picture that also the business guys can also see at the same time and, and see the whole picture again is a good first step. That will benefit them. Oh, okay. And then after that you go on to preventive maintenance and then predictive maintenance and then prescriptive maintenance, mm -hmm. which we can go into if you like as we as, as we keep going. Yeah. I know before the before the episode started, uh, we were talking about finding um, the balance. Uh, you, you mentioned the shop floor guys and the business guys, convincing them that this is something that they actually need. I don't know. I don't know what the landscape is like in the industry here in terms of um, looking at assets and optimization and that sort of thing. Um, how easy is it to communicate this the, this kind of need for some of the some of the businesses here? I know the mines. Most of them are foreign owned anyway, so they're mm -hmm. coming from markets and environments where this is a given. They have to do this kind of optimization with their physical assets and stuff like that. So, what about the local companies here that may not be as aware? That's uh, a bigger challenge. I mean, um, we have been speaking to a lot of these these companies, um, making them aware of, of the possibilities. But I think it, it's fear of, of risking their hard-earned cash in trying something new. And it's, it's one thing to show them videos of a guy from, from Chevron or from Texaco or whatever mm -hmm. saying we did this and it was marvellous and we sell, saved 20 billion dollars a year mm -hmm. um, but when you've got a, a tight budget it's uh, it's not an easy thing to convince these guys. Yeah and the market here isn't the easiest anyway where no. there's a crunch it's, at the moment everyone's trying to save yeah. as much money as they can mm. Uh, I, I, I don't know how you'd convince someone that you will save a lot of money every year yeah. and you'd have to pump in this much money to save that much money. They probably won't see their returns immediately, right? That's right. That's why I was mentioning about the uh, idea of uh, introducing quick wins. Something <laughs> simple. But how do you introduce the quick wins, though? You mentioned um, implementing something small and after a month, like getting them to see that ah, is a month enough time to get people to see that they would save money over time? Maybe not for the maintenance stuff, but there's also other advantages. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, on the business side of things, a lot of companies have monthly reporting, quarterly reporting, where they've got 10 guys running around collecting printouts from one place, spreadsheets from somewhere else, database outputs from somewhere else, 
and collating them together, cutting and pasting, and they take a week to do that. Yeah. Um, if all that information from the shop floor, from the plant, from the database, from the business side, mm -hmm. were all accessible via a central system, put it straight on the screen as a, a report, and you press the button, and it takes 30 seconds. To download the report, yeah. Then that's uh, 10 man weeks of, of engineer's effort every month you've saved by something simple as just integrating the data you have from all these systems. So how do we extract the data though um, across different, maybe we could use like a sample, like a, like a sample scenario, like how, how, how would we be able to like pick up all this information, whether we're, we're doing conditions or regulatory, regulatory stuff? There's um, various parts to these, these systems. There's the systems that get the real-time data, the second-by-second second pressures and temperatures, but there's also um, standard um, interfaces like ODBC, mm -hmm. um, SQL-based systems, mm -hmm. um, and other like uh, web APIs and so on that, that these guys have got pre-written, drag-and-drop, and you, you can either sit there and drag the data from your Oracle system, from your SQL Server system, from your SAP, into the central system, mm -hmm. or it's perfectly happy to act as a, a simply a pointer and sit there as a conduit and just refer to the data. Okay. So uh, it's, it's all about standards, really, and most of these systems nowadays are based on a standard, and the ones that aren't, these guys, like I said before, have got about 400 interfaces for different systems, they've got something out there that will talk to anything, GIS, whatever. Okay, so that makes the assumption that a certain infrastructure is in place in a particular organization before actually stepping in and aggregating on this data. Yeah, you'd have to have uh, security in place, the databases, the data systems, um, all that kind of stuff, governance over the data you've already got. Mm -hmm. That's really tricky though. Um, uh, looking at all the places that I've that that I've been to, and trying to look at all the different, isn't there a lot of slacking like in the Zambian system, like in the Zambian environment? I don't know. Maybe I'm being stereotypical. A, a, a lot of companies tend to be more reactive than proactive. Slacking, as in, uh, in terms of implementing the required standards uh, in, in doing business, because we're talking about, we're talking about a physical infrastructure, right? Yeah. And the tools and the the systems that are supposed to be in place before you can kind of yeah. step in and like do your thing. Yeah, it it does limit you. Um, for example, I won't name names, but there's one place where I was asking about the possibility of integrating the SAP mm -hmm. data. Yeah. Um, to to be able to maybe look at the maintenance side and then trigger a, an order through SAP and automate all that. Yeah. And they said, well, we've got a license and we've got SAP, but we've not actually populated it. We've only had it two years. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, here I have to go with what, what I've got. So. <laughs> that makes it really difficult, yeah? Mm. Oh, that's interesting. So in terms of like uh, troubleshooting and incident analysis, have you had any real issues like happen so far? Uh, not really. I mean... Um, most of the stuff I've been doing so far has been on the training side because mm -hmm. uh, so these guys have got this system in place 
and sometimes it just needs a reminder of, of what it can do and where to find it and how it works. That's really interesting. Uh, I can draw comparison to that. Um, for for like we have we've got a very young uh, tech industry here, right? Um, a lot of the people uh, don't really understand what what technology is about, what goes into building some of the software that we build. Um, a lot of people don't understand the value, for example, uh, and pricing is a real big issue here. Even in terms of providing software solutions, very few people understand uh, understand the costing that goes into this sort of thing. And we find ourselves doing a lot of awareness before we can actually implement a lot of the solutions that uh, would be helpful for yeah. uh, businesses and that's, that's, that sort of thing. So um, in terms of like training people, we find the gap is, is quite large. And if we don't do the awareness, for example, we won't be able to sell some of the skills and software that we actually build at the end of the day, which is a real big challenge. And I guess that's sort of why we also do the podcast, uh, to kind of get people more aware about the, what goes on in the environment. Like we're talking about this, we're talking about APM today, and not many people understand that even to get power in your home, some of these systems play a critical role in making sure that failure is predicted before it even happens. Predicted, avoided, reduced. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So um, in terms of, let's say, operations, right? Simple process monitoring and that sort of stuff. Um, what, what are the comparisons like in the other markets you've been in? You said you, you, you have a lot of experience, let's say, in the UK and that sort of thing. Mm. So what are the comparisons in terms of operations and that sort of thing? Um, I think uh, in in other industries like the power industries and water and oil and gas, um, the integration of these systems is a lot more slick. It's a lot more already already there sort of thing, and, and the awareness of its value is is very much there. And the oil and gas guys are at the forefront of of, of all this. They they are leading that that charge and I'm afraid it's not just um, Zambia but the mining industry mm -hmm. is is behind even here even other countries it's 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 not it's not as uh, I mean you, you go to an oil company and you say give me a report on the impact of uh, pump failures in the Western uh, territory of Australia for 2017 they could press a button do a quick uh, analytic calculation and out comes a report with pie charts and bar charts and whatever and say yes here you are here's a summary mm -hmm. this is this the, this is how much it cost our company last year because of pump failures that we didn't catch that's that's interesting um, I want to take you back a little bit I was very interested in um, the beginning of your story uh, getting all these different systems to communicate together. Uh, how difficult was it though, uh, writing the code that got all these stuff to talk to each other? Because that was like the early stages of software anyway. Yeah. It, it was it was difficult, but not, it, it wasn't difficult on a day by day or a project by project basis because you do one and you'd be six months on that project. So whatever the system was, whatever kind of protocols it was using, whether it was some kind of SQL system or some bespoke system using Java or something else, you you do that 
one set of interfaces then it's not like you were normally keeping track of, of having to write seven different interfaces for seven different projects so in that sense it wasn't too bad but if you ever had to go back to make corrections or changes and you change the functionality in such a way that you needed some extra data bringing in that where you needed to go back and, and change the interface mm -hmm. then it would be a nightmare that would be very interesting uh, so what kind of languages were you were you building this these sort of interfaces with uh literally um uh was it uh fortran c c++ java visual basic a little bit <laughs> for the analytics i suppose yeah um we played around a little bit with some of the artificial intelligence stuff like lisp and prolog mm -hmm. um but uh, most most of the, the the big names, the, the Java, C, Fortran. That's interesting. Um, so f from the time all this stuff was done till now, what's how have these systems evolved from a language perspective, from a working to use, to use Visual Basic, for example, for your visuals? Uh, um, there are built-in clients that can talk the right internal language to access the data we're using mm -hmm. so we don't need to do that so much but there are also um, APIs and development kit assisted libraries mm -hmm. that will allow you to use Java or um, uh, what's the one the new one Pursuit P Python 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 not so new Python <laughs> C C++ Visual Basic there are libraries available in these systems to enable you to hook in, but also uh, the um, data protocols. You know, it used to be everyone had their own, and now, I mean, you're aware of ODBC, the the relational database, yeah. uh, common protocol. Mm -hmm. There's one called OPC, mm -hmm. um, which is the OLA for Process Control. Okay, and that's uh, a common thing which has been developed over the past twenty years or so. Uh, so, it's not just me from my end with my software being able to integrate down to the shop floor, but the shop floor guys over the past twenty years have started producing their own common protocols. So, you might have a Siemens system, a, a Bailey system, or something else system yeah. talking their own language. But nowadays, you can get another front end you plug on the top of that, which will produce a common protocol that everyone can then understand, understand and talk to each other. Yeah. So there's been a lot of effort at the business end on those systems, but also on the control system end and the hardware end to, to make things more common, more accessible. Yeah, and I'm guessing uh, using Python was a step towards integrating artificial intelligence in some of these systems. Yeah, I mean, you can either integrate into the, the, the artificial intelligence system in that way, but also what you can do is you can take the, the big data, if you like, and there are uh, cloud uh, interfaces mm -hmm. available, and you can send all this data up to Azure or Amazon or whatever and use their own AI stuff their own big data systems mm -hmm. and then send the data back 
the, 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 the answers back. So it, yeah, it goes all the way from individual uh, meter readings on the plant, mm. all the way through the control room, potentially all the way into the cloud, maybe collect 20 billion data points, <laughs> crunch it, come back with a, an answer to a problem. Okay, and from your experience, like in terms of getting uh, this data back in a format that actually is usable in the long term, how long how long did it take, or how long does it take to crunch all the data together through on whatever platform, whatever cloud platform, was it Azure or it's Amazon? Like when we push in all this data, and then yeah, we're not talking real time. We're not talking constant flow of data. And an answer coming back every every minute or every five minutes is more. Um, we'll gather information collected over the past five years, send it up to the cloud, let it sit there and cogitate for a week, mm -hmm. and then come back with some suggestions that you can then sort of shorten into something meaningful to put into a, a some kind of analytics. So you, you really, your rule finding, you're, you're finding the patterns in there and saying, okay, amongst these billions of data points that I can't see any pattern to, the AI comes along and says, well, look, there's a trend here, there's a trend here, there's a trend here, and it looks like 20% of the problem is this, but 80% of it is something else. And so you then say, okay, I'll just address the 80%, come up with something that approximates to the AI, but in a simple scale. Okay, that's really interesting. So I guess that's kind of tied, uh, tied into batch comparisons as well, right, as a scenario. Yeah. So what we've talked about so far is mainly continuous stuff like oil production, electricity. Mm -hmm. Pharmaceuticals, it's all batch. And in that situation, pharmaceuticals are, are difficult because like, if, if you're producing a million barrels of oil in an oil company, and it drops to 999,999, mm -hmm. you've lost a barrel's worth of money, but that's all you've lost. In pharmaceuticals, if you have a batch of, of life-saving drugs mm -hmm. and something goes wrong in the batch, you either catch it and you throw the whole batch out, so that's a whole lot gone, yeah. or you miss it and people die, potentially. That's good. So, so the care that has to be taken with, with data and also changing systems without double checking and treble checking them beforehand is very, very important in that situation. So it's a different, completely different approach to the continuous production. Oh, okay. So uh, that's very interesting. Uh, what kind of other uh, different approaches are there? Because I, I honestly thought it was a, sort of like a, not, a, not really a one size fits all approach. Uh, but I didn't consider the differences in impact, let's say, from an oil perspective and a pharmaceutical perspective. I mean, there are there are specialist uh, batch production elements to this software mm -hmm. that is, is tailored for that kind of thing. So, for example, um, comparing batches, they, they have something called a golden batch, mm -hmm. which is where they run the thing and they say, wow, that was brilliant, look at that, everything was spot on. Yeah, it, it, it took it only took five minutes to produce the pills. We're really happy with that. Let's let's record that. Let's keep that. Mm -hmm. And then as the batches come in, and, and somebody says, "Didn't it used to take ten minutes for this? Now it's taking twelve minutes, and then it takes thirteen minutes." 
so they then put that information together these gold the golden batch with the other batches that have been happening over the past few weeks yeah. and they say well look yes this something's happening here in stage three of the of the, of the batch now what's happening in stage three let's have a look at the temperatures let's have a look at the ph let's have a look at the what happened there oh, look there's, there's a spike in the temperature oh that's because the cooling system there was a block in there and you finally get down to the bit where you find out why that batch and the consequent batches aren't doing as well as the golden batch and then you go along and you fix it hmm. that's really interesting um data 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 is like an interesting thing um we there's this thing that's been running the last three years i think it's a data data hack for uh, financial inclusion so there's um there's a lot of talk about the impact of data on making decisions and the constant need to monitor systems and uh, make sure that when we're deciding let's say prices for products for example yeah. that <clears throat> comes from data that you have in-house that you've collected through different sources and it tells you basically what's going on on the floor and it tells you how to price products and that sort of thing um, I don't know how has what what kind of variances have you seen from place to place in terms of how pricing has been affected by systems and data? Um, pricing of the product? Yeah, pricing of the product. I I think really the pricing of the product to the end end the consumer uh, tends to stay the the same all you're doing really is fine-tuning the cost of production mm -hmm. so you're eliminating some of the losses you're um, enabling uh, a production run to take 20 kilowatts of energy instead of 23 or that kind of thing also you're enabling um, five percent less water to be used in the cleaning process you're enabling less chemicals to be used so really the changes are internal for the company in terms of their costs okay. the only external thing you tend to see is the environmental guys uh, government organizations that come along and say um, how how is your emissions this month and you say oh they're fine they're five percent below last month and they say prove it show me <laughs> and then you bring up the system you you wind it up and you say press the button there's the report there's last month there's this month mm -hmm. and there's been a lot of pressure on many companies to kind of uh assess the the impact of machinery and all the kind of operations on the environment yeah uh, i know amazon has a lot of pressure to create some kind of or to reduce the carbon footprint of all their server farms across the world for yeah. example i think google claims to be uh compliant and they don't they use solar energy and all the green energy across all the different server farms that they have and that sort of thing um does that tend to drive the cost up because of the changeover in terms of equipment to be compliant with some of the environmental regulations in different countries i'm not sure you're not sure yeah oh, okay that's interesting but off the top of your head I would say that uh, in the long term, most of these things end up being a saving. I mean, like you were talking about the solar side of things. Mm -hmm. um, it's a cost to buy these things, but in the long term, you've just reduced your power bill. 
you know most of the time savings on uh, the environmental side normally tie in with the saving on the financial side because if you don't if you're not using as much river water for your hydro then you're not polluting as much but you're also not having to clean the water when it goes back in the river etc quite as much so these savings normally also equate to using things less and the things you're using always cost money so yeah so it, tem- it tends to eventually bring the cost down whichever way yeah. you look at it and in my experience uh, it's never a case that you improve something in that way and you wish you hadn't because it's more expensive or it's more difficult mm. it's the initial um, I've got a million dollars in my pocket for the company and I've got three projects each of which is three quarters of a million dollars I've got to decide which one gets dropped and it's more that kind of thing where you're buying with other projects mm. because I'm not claiming that this stuff is the only way to improve the situation it's mm. just a good way mm. that's 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 a fair point um, so coming back to the issue of regulation um, uh, what, what kind of what kind of pressure is there from the government, for example, in, in Zambia to kind of comply with some of the environmental aspects of of doing operations? Um, I think there's meant to be people going to make inspections and, and check on these things. But like you say, I don't know how, how much of it's actually done or whether it's done and, and because the systems are slow, you find out maybe two years later that these guys didn't comply because the processing of the information it takes much longer than yeah, than, than that's, you'd that's expect. That's the other thing where things can be improved with this kind of uh, approach because you can also have um, organizations, government organizations and so on um, give them access to a subset of that information so that instead of getting a report on a monthly basis they can just sit there with a screen that says Zesco is at this point, the mines are at this point, the Lusaka water is running at, at this point, point yeah. and just get summaries and then the guys at trade and industry and the um, other ministries that are interested in this kind of stuff can just have a summary screen sat there and they don't and it's they know minute by minute mm. if there's an issue. Yeah, uh, thinking about all the detail that comes from all the different points, uh, has there ever been a situation where it, it, it feels like for the client it's too much information for them to see and kind of sim- going simplifying it a bit more? Um, well, there's a difference between the data that's underlying these things that you're using to analyze mm-hmm. and the presentation and the, the analytics results that the guys see. Okay. So, for example you can put a trend on the screen that says this is a week's worth of output mm-hmm. on the same screen you can put five years worth of output mm-hmm. because the system will approximate the curves so that how much or how little you're zooming in or out you get just enough to see enough detail for what you want so it's not like you you would, you would never have a spreadsheet with 20 million rows and expect someone to scroll up and down. Mm-hmm. You'd always pre-filter it somehow, summarize it, and give them a screen with maybe ten summarized points. 
that makes a lot of sense. I was thinking about it from the terms of um, uh, people on the floor being able to see all the different aspects and being able to interpret the data as 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 they should. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in terms of let's say um, you 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 get into an organization, right? They've done zero optimization efforts, zero mm-hmm. um, zero efforts towards getting to the level where they can save money. Um, you've done the initial analysis. You've talked to the business owners. You've spoke. You've spoken to the 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 shop floor guys, and they've given you all this information about uh, how things work. What's the next step after that? Um, identify maybe two or three possible projects to get things started. So normally, when you talk to the shop floor guys and the business guys, they'll come up with things and say, "We're always having problems with this," or um, the business guys will say. Uh, in order to price our commodity properly we need to know how much it's costing us to produce it and we don't find that out until the month after it's happened we need some way of integrating it so it's slicker and it's quicker so we then sit down and list the business benefits of all these things uh, and look at the cost of fixing them against the benefit and the price and then come to an agreement between everyone as to if one of those projects is is viable to make a start on. Mm. And how long on average does it take uh, from the point we decide what kind of project would be most viable, uh, would be most beneficial, uh, up until the point when we're able to produce the first report? Um, it depends. I mean, if it's something simple like literally getting the information integrated from multiple systems you can have data coming in within the month mm-hmm. and they can start playing with it so you know maybe three months they'll be seeing seeing benefits if it's something more uh, entrenched more complex that needs analytics and, and other systems involved and so on then maybe a year 18 months <laughs> so it's 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 not um it's not a short term it's not a short term solution no. basically but so these these systems are built to uh, contain and store the data in highly compressed form for like twenty years. Mm-hmm. So it's not a short term thing. The idea is that on a medium sized hard drive and a medium sized server, you can have the entire mine operations data, plant data, and so on for the past twenty years, and just come along and say, wasn't there a problem in nineteen? 99 Mm -hmm. uh similar to this let's have a look zoom in yeah okay yeah we had a pump problem here and it was the same manufacturer they still haven't fixed that problem Hmm. that's really interesting um so you've been in the industry for 20 years right um what would you say is the most significant significant output of the entire process all the strategies and all the efforts towards implementing all these systems what would you say is the biggest benefit for um, businesses and organizations and stuff I think it's getting the underlying architecture right mm-hmm. because these these initial projects are simply there to get things going to get an interest to get a taste of what's going on but um, if you if you keep a, 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 an eye to the future 
and say whatever project we, we are doing, we want the long term to be able to do other projects without having to go through such a long process. So if you can add the, uh, the capabilities for that one project, add to that the ability to um, integrate the data from all your other systems so that you, you can then say, okay, we fixed that problem. All we need to do now is work out the analytics for these because as far as getting the data for the analytics, it's just drag and drop. <laughs> so as long as you've got the security in place between the systems, um, the right sizes of server and, and, and the networking configured correctly and the, the interfaces between the systems arranged in such a way that you're minimizing traffic between them. So for example, one rule of thumb is that you don't grab data from all these systems and copy them all over the place for different uses. Yeah. You refer to or you point to the data and you leave the data for that system where it's best used in the system it's built, it's made for. Yeah. So arranging that so that in the future you just say, okay, um, we're fixing this issue, we need SAP data drag, we need data from the Oracle system from, from, the, from the customer database drag, we need the pricing from the website uh, so we know how much is costing us, how much profit we're making, etc. Drag and drop. Hmm. That's, that's that's really interesting, and I'm I'm very curious to know, uh, like in five years time, uh, how uh, how how the different organizations here will be able to take advantage of all the systems they have in place. I don't know. Um, it's not. It's just not very encouraging for me. Like in terms, even the last three years or four years, like I've been in so many places where they have all these servers, all these networking infrastructure, all the, the databases and systems, hmm. but they're not interlinked. They yeah. they don't communicate to it with each other. It's it's frustrating for me as well because I would like this stuff to be in Zambia. I mean, I've moved to Zambia. I live here. My wife is Zambian, and and so on. So. I want this stuff to be done here, but apart from one or two places, I'm heading to Namibia or I'm going to South Africa to do these things. And it's interesting because South Africa is what what where South Africa is so close to us, but that's way ahead of us in terms of understanding the importance of using such kind of infrastructure or the just understanding that data drives everything, hmm. like data drives decisions, data drives every single part of the organization. So um, I'm, I'm really curious to see what we'll be in terms of five years. We're growing a lot. I just don't know if we're growing a lot in the right areas so far. And maybe we'll sit down and have a chat about it in a few years and then you can tell me. I can, I can come back in five years um, in my retirement <laughs> and tell you how it went. Nah, you're not retiring anytime soon. It's uh, a lot of work. I'm hoping that the guys out there that are listening to this and say, that's interesting. I want to find out more and then I can train these guys up and when the business cake takes off it's not me flying around from place to place all the time it's, <laughs> it's someone else okay. I can just point a finger and say go and do that okay so in terms of training uh, or awareness or getting people to understand 
um, what goes into into this line of 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 the industry. What's what's happening on your end? Um, at the moment, it's uh, it's one of those sort of catch twenty two situations where business is too slow to need any help, but it might suddenly change so quickly that we struggle to find people to fill the gaps so it's a scary situation at the moment okay uh, we hope for the best we hope that uh, it does catch on and eventually you need as much help as you can get uh, and hopefully we'll train as many data scientists and as many engineers yeah i mean it could be a mixture of, of, of abilities um it guys who have an interest in engineering and how things work that's one side mm-hmm. uh, engineers who have an interest in IT and coding etc that's the other approach either one either is one a, works. is a way into this kind of stuff okay do you still code do you still write code a little bit um, not not very much um, I can look at a piece of code and tell you if it's been written with reasonable standards <laughs> involved. I mean, I've, I've been in situations where there's been coders who are meant to be coding things, and it comes back, and you look at it, and you think, oh, this can't be right, this doesn't make sense. I've had situations where professional coders have have written a different function for every item. So it's like one function for adding two numbers together, Mm-hmm. Another function of adding three numbers together, and another function of adding four numbers together. Yeah, and you know, and no, no use of variables. And then variable names are called A, B, C, D, X one, X two, X three, and. I feel like the hardest part about writing code is naming variables. You have to be like really creative about it. Yeah, and uh, I think I still struggle with it deal to date like when you're building large large systems and you're constantly naming variables it's, it's I try and make sure that the name has something that t- tells you what kind of variable it is whether it's real or floating point or boolean or whatever yeah. and then something in the name that tells you what it does yeah that that, that that's a good uh, that's good advice on best practices around writing code mm. so what language are you interested in now in because obviously it's a hobby you you don't write code for a living anymore. Um, I I started with Visual Basic and, and in the old days when it was VB three and four and five and six, mm-hmm. um, and then went on to the object oriented versions. Um, I'm still I'm reasonably happy with VB and with C plus plus because they, they sort of merge apart from curly brackets and the the, the semicolons. Yeah, a lot of it's. Still the same. Still the same, and also nowadays you you press something dot something and up comes a list of what's possible, and it just reminds you, oh, yeah, that's the one I wanted. Yeah, yeah, I guess the emphasis now is also on getting people more productive, uh, moving away from using dot plus plus into using IDs like Visual Studio Code that already have these extensions in place that help you write code faster, yeah. and also maybe improve readability and sort out some of the issues with, um, let's say, naming variables and remembering functions and commenting and indenting. It's, it's really interesting. So are you a spaces or tabs person? Uh, tabs. Oh, okay. That's good. 
we're killing we're killing all this spaces people right yeah um so uh, right right now we're coming to the end of the episode okay. i guess um i just wanted to know a little bit more about uh, what the business is and where you guys are and what the plan is for the next year or two uh the business is um currently cause my my partner is uh on the business side of it he's he's a a, a zambian entrepreneur um who's got contacts in 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 government and business mm-hmm. um so he's trying to get a spanner in there to to leverage various guys on the government side and, and the industry side there um and his business contacts so really it's uh it's just getting we're also looking for partners so what we have um addresses a certain part of of the problem but there are other problems beyond that like uh the guys that produce the instrumentation and the iot stuff maybe um and the other end um maybe specialist software that they know the algorithms that they need to use and we can plug in the data they need to actually drive it so we're looking to build a one-stop shop for industry so someone can come to us and say we need to integrate the data we need to uh, automate these systems we need analysis on this and we say right we've got this bit our partners can do analysis on that because that's their speciality we'll bring the team together and do the whole end-to-end uh, yeah, implementation. So that's, the, that's the aim. Okay, that's pretty good. And in terms of, let's say, the public sector, because uh, I'm assuming it's not just uh, physical asset optimization, right? Um, it's anything that... I'm just trying to think... If, if governments, departments are involved in, in, in looking at what the industry is doing then that there's that that side of it yeah when you say uh non-industrial what kind of thing are you talking about um so um let's say when we look at the plants and all these guys that are actively analyzing or getting data from machinery and that sort of thing when we stretch into let's say government ministries and public sector uh is there a different approach uh to these guys in terms of um I mean, it wouldn't be sort of machinery based or whatever, but you still have the aspect of data integration. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there are examples of government departments using this system not to monitor machinery, but to integrate their systems so that they can share data easily between different departments um, without having to um, start from scratch with it. Yeah, and I really hope our government is thinking about that. We have a lot of um, uh, systems that are not interlinked at the moment. Mm. I think one of one, one of the biggest examples is, like here, what happens is um, you, you, you're born, you, you get your birth certificate and everything. Uh, bef- when you get to the age of 16, you get your NRC. And uh, eventually, like you go on and get your passport, but at the moment we don't really have like an environment where all these different information is linked together. Mm-hmm. For example, health, like 
even in terms of that. Are they afraid of security problems? Uh, probably. Um, I think I need to do some research into uh, what progress has been made in terms of um, having a centralized storage of information about pretty much everybody. Yeah. I mean, there are ways of approaching it. I mean, the, this, these systems, they use uh, Active, Active Directory mm. as their backbone for the security side of things. It's also a single port of access, so if you're bringing the data in through that single port, then all you have to do is have your firewall set up to to monitor that yeah. one port, so you're reducing the problem uh, in that sense. Yeah, definitely. So I'll do that research, and I think I might even write about it. Right. Okay, um, this has been a great conversation. Thank you. I kind of learned a lot, lots of stuff I didn't know about assets and optimizing them and that sort of thing. Any last words? Uh, thank you for inviting me and don't leave it five years till next time. Hmm. We'll think about it. Right. We might do sooner. Uh, we do have a developer conference coming soon in September, so that might be a good opportunity to come through a network with different people okay. that um, are coming from different parts. The other of option is if something major happens, like we suddenly get 20 customers um, and we get well-known, and come back and tell you all about how we did the marketing and, and how we persuaded the guys to uh, join the party. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, so this is the end of the episode. Thank you very much for coming through. Um, so if you guys are interested in um, talking to Paul, um, you can find him on LinkedIn. Are you on Twitter as well? Facebook? I uh, know. Facebook, yes. Okay. There's, not, there's not much technical on Facebook. It's... Mainly photos of the dogs and that kind of thing. <laughs> so where can they find you? LinkedIn is the best? Yeah. Okay. Um, do you, how do they find you? What are your names on LinkedIn? Uh, Paul Flanagan. Oh, okay. I mean, if you if you look for that name and you also put in OSI Soft, which is the system that does all this clever stuff I've been talking about, Yeah. Um, then... In fact, you can put that in Google, and you'll probably find one link to me. So, okay. Um, so, if you want to get in touch with us, as usual, um, you can DM us. We are at CodecastZM on Twitter. We're CodecastZM uh, on Instagram. We're on LinkedIn as well. Codecast Zambia, uh, Facebook, Codecast Zambia, and be sure to find our episodes on your favorite podcast streaming app. Um, yeah, it's been great. We'll talk soon. Definitely. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CodecastZM and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss a show. Leave us a rating on iTunes and please do tell a friend about the show.